What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, what a time to be coming at you with another game recap, an instant game recap after Villanova's not even sure the adjective to use here, Hmm. crushing defeat. And I think we will get into that meaning later. 70 to 66 at the Excel Center in Hartford. What a game. What a win for UConn. What a viewing experience for us fans. And Pat and I were talking before we, we hit record. Rarely do we feel this much emotion while we record. But this might be a first for both of us tonight. How, how you feeling, Pat? UConn will always do that to you, right? Bring, yeah. bring out that emotion as a Villanova fan. But first off, great to talk to everyone again. Hope everyone had a uh, great Christmas uh, and uh, we missed you on Tuesday. It's always weird when we miss an episode. So it feels good to come out here again. But yeah, I'm I'm with you on it. There's a lot to talk through. I feel like there are a lot of emotion that went into this game, both positive and negative here. Uh, but in the end, Villanova does drop to seven and six. UConn goes to 14 and oh, their first time since 1998 at 14 and oh, and for Nova as well, losing that first game with Cam Whitmore in the lineup. Yeah, first loss in the Cam Whitmore era it had to come at some point. Yep. I, I assume most people weren't expecting Nova to, to run the board from here on out. But I think you and I both agree that I don't think we spend a lot of time on this podcast spewing about moral victories and no. Anything like that, because this is an extremely proud program. And frankly, this this team and especially its fans don't settle. This feels like as close as you can get, because I was a little bit more optimistic than Pat. And this is what actually kind of stinks about not having a preview episode for this <laughs> yes. game specifically. The spread was at multiple points throughout the day on Tuesday and Wednesday, 14 and a half, 12 and a half. I never saw it get lower than 12. I felt like that was a lock. Pat said to me. 17 to 20 point loss was his range. So for Nova to come out, of course, the total ended up being a seven point or excuse me, an eight point loss, 74 to 66. But for it to come down to the end like it did. Feels like a pretty good way to go out at UConn so early still in Big East play. So that's where you kind of catch me in two minds here, where I definitely feel that it's encouraging how Villanova was able to stick in this game, being down a point at half, being down two with, you know, not that much time left to go in this game before UConn really started to pull away here for a game that I firmly expected UConn to blow Villanova out. I I do find that as encouraging, and I think there were some positive signs there. But also factoring factoring that in, I do not know how you can look at this game and say it is not a missed opportunity for Mm -hmm. Villanova to secure a really signature win here under Kyle Neptune and for a team that I don't buy into it from a lot of the bracketologists yet, but most of them have Villanova out of the NCAA tournament. This would have been a very, very big deal for this team to be able to secure this type of win on the road against the number two team in the country. You hold Adama Sanogo to seven points. You hold UConn to under 40% from the field they struggled to create offense in a lot of different areas and they Villanova lost this game off of really in a lot of instances self-inflicted wounds which is mm-hmm. I think infuriating in that way so that's why I come away with this game pretty frustrated because this most certainly was a chance to get UConn when they were not playing at their best however there were some things in this game that, of course, makes you feel good about Villanova going forward, that they went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the country on the road in a hostile environment and had a chance to win. I think those are positive things to bring forward. But 
man coming away with the, the loss in the way that it did still stinks. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that we got that out of the way because I feel the exact same way. Absolutely thrilled that, w- that it was as close as it was. But you can be pissed at how this game ended. Villanova mm-hmm. threw this one away. Snuggo's foul trouble. You, you, you listed it off. Poor freshman play, turnovers. Very poor horrible, freshman play. Horrible three-point shooting. That stuck out to me right away, too. So we obviously have a lot to go through, but it's funny. It's also it's like normally it's 2020 hindsight. This one was almost Villanova fans breathed a sigh of relief because it was close. Like we had to clear that hurdle before we actually get into the nitty-gritty of how this team actually played. So, yes, it's a great sign that Villanova can still compete with the best teams in the Big East, if not the best team in the country. And now it's, okay, how do you you close out? Because this was the first time that Villanova has been outscored in the second half in a while, in quite a few games. Villanova has been very good at closing teams out, and that's something that we had been keeping an eye on for a while against better opponents. This was the first test. It was the first huge road test. It was the first test for Cam Whitmore to show what he can do against a really good opponent. And unfortunately, he failed that test pretty spectacularly, Pat. Against UConn, <laughs> it was also the first time for Villanova they allowed over seventy points uh, since Whitmore was inserted into the lineup. Sixty-six was the previous high there uh, against Oklahoma since he came in, and that really was a uh, a big turning point for this team. Obviously, so as you said, many different ways we can go with this. I, I think starting off, I I was impressed Villanova was able to hang, you know, with UConn, especially in that first half, and really prevent UConn from ever finding a a way to pull away now they did it in kind of a weird way in that it was three guys in total (laughs) that that led the way with the scoring Dixon and Slater both had 10 and Daniels had eight for 28 of their 32 so there really wasn't much of an offensive distribution in this game and I, I felt that the offense really wasn't strong for for portions of this game but In that first half, I think Brandon Slater played exceptionally well. In the second half, he was incredibly poor. He actually did not score uh, in the second half. Overall, I think Eric Dixon played a very strong game and held his own against Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon, you know, two of the the better big men uh, in the conference and in Sonogo's Sonogo's rate in the country. But it just wasn't enough fluidity, especially in that second half. UConn ramped up the pressure and was able to really take advantage of Nova. Yeah, I had a lot of expectations for Slater because of the way he's been playing of late mm-hmm. and also the way that he played against UConn last year. This is obviously a very different-looking program. They had four transfers come in this year, four high-impact transfers to take it even a step further. And last year against a really experienced UConn team, Slater stepped up. He had 15 in the loss in Game 2, and then he had 15 points in that crazy, basically game-winning block in the Big East semis when when Nova won 63-60 at MSG. So I figured that he would play a big part in this game. He seemed to look pretty aggressive at the beginning. And then, and this is actually, I think, a key for a few guys. I actually felt like he was kind of a detriment. His decision-making was a detriment to this team down the stretch. He took threes when there was absolutely no reason to shoot A, at the beginning of the shot clock, or B, the three at all when you were down multiple possessions and you just needed points. And I was pretty sure that UConn was going to let him go to the basket unimpeded because they were also in a fair amount of foul trouble as well. So that was disappointing. Dixon, again, continues to prove our point, Pat, that he is not trying to measure up against Klingon and Sonogo. He is trying to show that he is better than them. 
what an impressive performance. And then Dale Daniels as well. Caleb Daniels, Dale Daniels hmm. showed out again. And <laughs> also continues to prove that when he has an on night offensively and looking at the numbers, nine for 15, two for six from three. I think that's great. Not unbelievably good, but you show it, He showed how, well, he can impact the team and how much he can put the offensive force on his back when they needed him to. He, he certainly can. What, what he does best, and it's what we saw here, is just using that frame and getting in the lane. Yeah, he was so physical. Wow. Yeah, I, I was very impressed with that. Now, I, I don't think he was faultless by any means. He had the three turnovers. He had a couple bad fouls and a couple questionable ones uh, as well, so I don't put that all on him. But I, I do like how his game is transforming, though. The, the turnovers were rough, but... That goes for the entire team there with with the 18 turnovers, which I believe tied uh, a, a season high for them. This game really felt like a throwback to when Villanova was really struggling pre-Whitmore with how things were on offense. I mean, you had Daniels and Dixon combined for 15 of the 22 field goals. They couldn't hit the broadside of a barn from deep with five of 22 for, for 23%. I thought movement was stagnant. And it's so funny we say that because all of that said, they were down two down the mm-hmm. stretch, which is what leads into the into the frustration there. But again, uh, stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, Villanova was able to go to the line 18 times and made 17 of them, which was really important for them. However, they were outdone by the Huskies, which does not happen very often here for Villanova as UConn went 23 of 27 from the foul line there. So uh, offensively, I think that's where you see where a lot of this came from. I did like the game plan as well that Neptune most certainly went into in the first half where Dixon and Slater, if you noticed, was higher out in the post. They wanted to pull Sonogo. They wanted to pull Klingon out from underneath the basket and try and find ways, whether that be through cutters or some bounce passes around there and driving in isolations were something that Villanova really did with guards to be able to, to find some easy baskets. Now, UConn really clamped down on that a lot more in the second half and brought some more help because Villanova was not going to hurt you from deep, so it doesn't really matter if you help out uh, underneath the basket. So I think that was a pretty strong adjustment from Hurley there, but I did really like how Villanova tried to to do things in the first half, and you know what? It worked for, for a lot of points in the first half, but... Uh, after that things of course got got a lot tougher <laughs> yeah they they stood pat in that game plan and, and where we can go i mean i feel like i can go six different avenues down once you what you gave me but if we were worried about tempo Villanova held their own uconn definitely shook them a little bit but i i do feel like the majority of this game uconn played to villanova's tempo and that's they huge they also were pretty even on the boards to your point about you uh dixon playing out and preventing Sonogo from just being a beast down low. They actually out-rebounded UConn defensively, and then UConn had one extra offensive rebound. I think I want to start with what you said about Villanova looking like pre-Cam Whitmore era basketball. The interesting thing about this game is that both teams did what they were supposed to do really, really well. I think if you were to look at the numbers and you thought, Okay, UConn is going to shoot less than 40% from the floor and 30% from three. Villanova has a pretty damn good chance of winning this game. Yeah, Yeah, you feel good on that. UConn is one of the best two-point offenses in the country. Villanova played the best two-point defense. We've seen them play all season long by far. So that is a huge win, huge check that this defense can keep up with that team. And yes, it's unfortunate that UConn scored more than 70 points, 
but that's still significantly lower than what they're averaging so far this season. I think they also have one of the best winning margins, scoring margins in the country. So they are blowing teams out and scoring 80 plus points a game. That did not happen in this game. The, the issue though, (laughs) and again, broken record here, UConn also has extremely good three-point defense. And instead of trying to switch that and forcing Dixon down low and trying to foul Sonoga out of the game, which they, they did a good job of, but feeding Slater down low, finding more cuts, they put up 22 shots and made five of them. So if you know that you're going against a three-point defense as good as UConn's is, I felt like there needed to be a little bit more of an adjustment there because the defense was so good and it feels like a waste that Villanova put this game away on offense despite how good they played on defense. And that's part of UConn's strength is that perimeter athleticism that they're able to use with the Hawkins, with a Jackson, with a Diara. Uh, it makes them very, very difficult uh, to, to go up against. To your point here, they average allowing about 27% from three, which is an insane yeah. number. And it's eighth that's best. crazy. Yeah, it's, it's eighth best in the country. Villanova clocked in under that percentage to even go further to how good that Husky perimeter defense is. Furthermore, Villanova will actually be the first team this year to lose by fewer than double digits with it being an eight point loss. UConn had beaten every other opponent by double digits. So I think if you want to, again, go on the encouraging route, that is where you look here. And, you know, you mentioned Sonogo and you mentioned the fouls. Villanova had an opportunity with about, what was it? Seven minutes or so to go in the first half where he picked up that second foul for Nova to not only try and close things out, but really take advantage and see what they can do to try to build any sort of cushion. What happened straight after that is that UConn actually was the team that started to pull away a little bit. Now, of course, Villanova pulled it back and got it down to one and a half, but that was Nova's opportunity to really try and go on some sort of a run when you've got one of the best players in the country out of the game. It did not happen, and I think that really goes into this feeling of a missed opportunity. Yeah, and we have a few questions about the game planning at the end when you saw small ball. And, and so I, I actually think it makes sense to go there now. So mm-hmm. do you want to keep going? Because it, I felt the same way. Sonogo picked up that second foul and I immediately texted Pat and I immediately stood up because I was so excited. The game plan was executed perfectly. Sonogo gets into foul trouble. Klingon is still incredibly, an incredibly good player. He has been by far the best new face on UConn so far this season. He's the best freshman in the Big East. Like, I, I know yes. we love our Cam Whitmore, but Cam Whitmore has not done what Donovan pure volume. has done thus far. Yeah. yeah, pure volume. I feel the same exact way. So I was psyched. Klingon is great, but like you said, he is not as physical as Sonogo. Dixon dominated him down low. Frankly, I really think he did. But Villanova still wasn't able to do that. But then at the end of the game, we had a three-minute stretch maybe where not because of foul trouble, at least on Dixon's side, Dixon... Klingon and Sonogo did not play. We saw fully guards in the last three-ish minutes of the game before the last maybe possession or two. So tell me what your thoughts on on, are on that. Well, why did we see that? Yeah, Conrad and Kristen had had also sent us that question, kind of curious about Eric Dixon sitting late in the game. I I have to say I disagreed with, with Neptune on that. I think Dixon, as I said, played a really solid game. And at a point where Villanova was really chasing things, They needed Dixon in the game, and it's not even as much so as they needed a big to be there. But yes, he is the best rebounder on this team. It always helps to have him down low and kind of what he does with that body and box outs. Could it be offensive rebounds, second chance points, everything with that. But 
as we've discussed many times over the last basically two months here, this Villanova team is not exactly a bunch of sharpshooters from deep. And Eric Dixon's one of your best three-point shooters. So even if the goal is to kind of stretch the floor a little more and try to find opportunities to put up a three, well, Eric Dixon gives you one of the best opportunities to do that. So I, I disagreed with it. I have a feeling it had more so to do with pacing. And wondering, you know, can they push it as much with Dixon out there? Let's see what happens when they go with the smaller uh, group and are able to run up and down. But as we know, running up and down really isn't Villanova's forte. And it doesn't lead to a lot of points for them because they're just not built to succeed in that sort of mode. So I disagreed with it. And I would have liked to see Eric Dixon out there. Yeah, I agree with you, which is disagreeing with what we saw. Uh, I think Dixon, it feels like we say this every single game, Dixon always seems to be the easy bucket when the team needs a bucket. And he wasn't even an option because he wasn't on the court. And to your point about pacing and tempo and spacing too, Nova was running out that one, two, two with Whitmore and and sometimes Armstrong and sometimes Arch and, and Longino too. So maybe they didn't feel like Nixon fit into that defensive scheme. But I think at that point, offense mattered more. And that's actually why I had hoped we would see Housen more before that last possession that he was in there. There was a timeout, I think it was the under four timeout, where you take the risk on defense if he can sink a three from the corner. That's what, that's what I, I would have loved to see. I think that's why you didn't see him. I think Neptune was very cautious of defensively how Hausen would hold up against such a physical and athletic team like UConn that this didn't fit Hausen as well. I understand there are certainly going to be calls for Hausen just under understanding what he brings from deep, and we know he is a sharpshooter, but the opposition makes things difficult there. Now, is there an argument to be had for, hey, give it a shot for for a couple minutes and see how it goes? Absolutely. I will not argue against that, but I believe that's kind of what led to Housen really not seeing too much action and Nova going with seven for most of this game. No, totally. And I mean, if if, uh, Dixon, Daniels, and Longino are having issues keeping the ball, then yeah. I think Hausen is also going to struggle as well. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, UConn brought the intensity offensively and defensively. Villanova hasn't been this sloppy. You, you said that maybe, what was the other 18 turnovers a game, Pat? Uh, I believe it was in Portland, but I, I don't have it in front of me right now. Oh, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, so I was gonna, it definitely didn't feel as sloppy as this game, at least to my, to my memory right now. It was an experience game. Going into the freshman point here, Whitmore and Armstrong did not play much. Armstrong had 10 minutes. Whitmore had 22, and neither of them impacted the game positively in very many ways. They just looked outmatched by the intensity that UConn brought. And then offensively, they took too many dribbles. They tried to do too much instead of driving and kicking, or in Cam's case, just driving to the basket. I really felt like they more complicated than it needed to be certainly and i i did look it up there and it was iowa state was the 18 okay. over game from earlier that was a tough year. first half yeah 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 it was and of course that one went to <laughs> overtime as well uh glad you transitioned to the freshman because i do think we most certainly have to touch on them starting with mark armstrong i'll know how much I, I believe in him he had a very poor game was not able to impact it at all never really got into it as well whether it be offensively or defensively here this was definitely a game that neptune tried to rely a little bit more on on his older guys 
and more experienced guys. To your point, he most certainly did try and do too much with it. And I think that frustration kind of grew in the second half where he had that atrocious turnover where he just dribbled Mm -hmm. around (laughs) for for a very long time before getting it poked away. Part of that is the growing pain of being a freshman that's used to, you know, dominating in many of the games that that he played in high school and then has had an impact uh, at times here for Villanova. It's got to be frustrating to go on the road and not play too much. And then when you're in, not make much of an impact. So I do think that plays into it as part of the growing pains. It's not an excuse, however, for for what was pretty poor from him. I mean, you look at the the final stat line, it was two turnovers and three fouls with no points. It was Mm -hmm. it was not good. For Cam Whitmore, too, he most certainly is not uh, exempt from criticism here. We, we've kind of talked about it a little bit over the last couple games, but I think it came out here again. That's three games in a row where Cam Whitmore has not been very good. I think it's pretty clear, and it's it's okay to admit it, even for someone that we are so excited about and has impacted this team in a positive way. It hasn't been great the last three games. Uh, he's still forcing the ball up. And this, you know, I bring up that point with Armstrong, Uh, about previous experience and getting frustrated. I think you most certainly see it with Whitmore, where if he's not involved early, he feels like he has to involve himself. And there, that's when you start to see some really bad shots go up. The turnovers at least were better. It was only one, though it was still a pretty bad turnover that did happen. And he's... Uh, it's a part of what makes him great is that athleticism and kind of anticipation that goes with it. But it also got him into foul trouble because they were some pretty, you know, rough fouls that that he turned into where he was trying to make a play and, uh, and ended up picking it up. So I think both Armstrong and Whitmore did not play well going through this game. There are plenty of building blocks for these two to, to get better. And I think they're only going to continue to get better and impact the team, but this was a bad one for the two of them. He's incredibly stoic Whitmore. But in the same vein, he also wears his emotions on his sleeve. Mm -hmm. And I love the way you put it about when he's not involved, he feels like he needs to insert himself. I think that's the perfect way to sum up this game from Cam Whitmer's perspective. He felt like he needed to do too much. So he tried to make the big play on defense and then it turned into a foul. I'm actually surprised at how much he did play down the stretch. I wasn't expecting to see him or Armstrong for the final five minutes, to be honest with you. I felt like Neptune had the quickest hook that he's had all season long. He did. That's I, a great I point. agreed with that hook, actually. I was totally fine with it because you can't be frustrated at an offensive possession and take it out by making a ticky-tack foul on defense. And Cam did that at least twice. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're so right that this was the quickest hook we've seen from him. In many instances, the freshmen have made a mistake and he's let them play out there. And I've really enjoyed that. I think that's been very refreshing. But in a game like this, where it was so close and against such a good opponent, he pulled them quick whenever they made a mistake, whether it was a turnover, whether it was a foul, he was not hesitant in pulling them out of there. And I'm completely comfortable with that. Now, moving forward with Whitmore is where I think things get interesting because, yeah, there have been times where he's not all that involved in the offense, then he tries to get himself involved. I'd love for Villanova to really try and draw up some plays to get him some touches and get him some touches around the rim. Mm -hmm. See if you can ease him into the game. And and I think that will only help his flow a little bit better. Now it's against the grain because we really don't see Villanova draw up too many plays specifically for a guy. You know, they're all about trying to run fluid offense, finding that open man, everything that goes into Villanova basketball. It is not really about saying, get the ball to X player here and he's going to make something happen. It happens every now and then. You see Caleb Daniels get in isolation. You see Eric Dixon get a post up, but it's not a big part of this offense. I'm curious, and I would 
lean to believe this way, actually, that I would like to see Cam Whitmore have a couple of those, especially early on in the games, because I think that will help things settle. And if he's settled, I feel a little bit better about how his progressions are going to go and the type of shots that are going to go up. Yeah, I completely agree, because the other half of this, this is that this isn't the first, second, or third time that a team has seen Cam now. This is the fifth, sixth time, especially against a team as well coached as UConn. So to his credit, teams are game planning against him. He is now has the big red circle around him. We are trying to eliminate player X from Villanova's offense. So they're playing him much tighter. They're really not letting him catch the ball inside the perimeter. So I completely agree with you. You don't see it much besides for Dixon or Daniels, those two guys that you mentioned. Sometimes you get an out-of-bounds play for Housen from 3-2. Yes, that's true. But you've got to get Whitmore going because it's funny. I I was just thinking this whole game, if this was a game last year and it's experience versus freshman, which was the whole narrative ran last year with Jay, you're probably yelling for more of Longino Mm -hmm. or more of more of Mark Armstrong. I think because Neptune has done such a good job tinkering with the rotation, you knew that this was an experience game because Whitmore and Armstrong just weren't it on Wednesday night. But you know what this ceiling can be with this team with Cam Whitmore playing at his best. And I think the mark of Neptune as a good coach will be playing to that strength a little bit. So I, I totally agree with you. You have to let him go offensively and defenses aren't letting him do that. So you've got to make it happen yourself. We're talking about bumps in the road here for Whitmore. It's fair to criticize him and Armstrong. I still firmly believe that Cam Whitmore has all the talent in the world and can most certainly start to take over games here as as we move into Big East play. And I expect Mark Armstrong to be a lot bigger um, in kind of how he's able to impact games going forward as well. This was just a a very poor one uh, for, for those freshmen. Against a really good defense, too. It's a very, very good defense <laughs> on the road against the number two team in the country. Yeah, the the atmosphere. I don't think we mentioned that at the beginning, but oh my God, the atmosphere was insane. I'm not going to credit the UConn fans, but I appreciate it. No, no, I, I'm no kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> no, it, it was, as it always is. Uh, I just, I wish Danny Hurley got a, a technical as he. Yeah, I thought he was. I was having flashbacks the last year. Oh my God, as it was, was almost I. exactly the same. Uh, as was I, but uh, yeah, it's it's always crazy uh, when when Villanova plays UConn, especially out there. Uh, looking forward to when they come to Wells Fargo Center uh, in early March, and then if, if these two teams do meet at Madison Square Garden, um, mm. um, early to mid March, uh, things will be very fun again. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. You want to go anywhere else for this game? Just hats off to Jordan Hawkins. I mean, he was oh, just, yeah, yeah I, I think we'd be remiss to, to not mention more of Jordan Hawkins. He was great um, for the Huskies, especially as Adama Sonogo really did not imprint put too much, you know, around this game. Jordan Hawkins mo- most certainly did it. And the jump that Hawkins has made from kind of a, a you know, a, a reserve started a couple games for the Huskies a year ago, kind of featured to a guy that, you know, now shoots over, I believe it's over 11 field goals a game and averages over 14 points a game. And what he did was take over the game for UConn mm-hmm. when they really needed to. Now, UConn has a lot of guys that can hurt you from from deep and really around <laughs> around the uh, perimeter anyway. And Caravan uh, and, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on Cal Calcaterra uh, as well. But Jordan Hawkins 
was just unreal today. And it showed he four threes for him, got to the foul line. Like defensively, he was great. And he carried them when they really needed some help. It felt like this was what they hoped he would become. I mean, this is literally best case scenario for UConn fans. He was the guy that didn't, I'm trying to find his stats from last year. He only played in 11 games. He shot 41% from the floor though. 41% from three. You knew how well he could play if he got the minutes underneath him. And he has definitely gotten the minutes underneath him, I would say. (laughs) And defensively too, I, I think that's underrated. The way he played against Villanova guards, and this is a point that actually ties back to what we were talking about too with the freshmen and the turnovers in general. Something UConn's defense did really well was target the ball handlers. You saw Dixon and Slater and sometimes Longino carrying the ball up the court more than you saw Archer Daniels at points in the second half. So they did an incredible job a, giving a Villanova a hell of a time getting the ball in bounds, which makes everyone, I think, want to <laughs> rip their hair out. But they, they knew that Caleb does much better off ball. They knew that Arch is the one guy maybe that won't turn balls over. So they targeted other guys, and I think they did a really good job making Villanova's offense scramble, and that turned into turnovers that then UConn capitalized on. I thought Villanova had done a pretty decent job uh dealing with pressure uh you know against st joe's and st john's both of them really did bring bring full court for a lot of it and while st joe's there were a couple backcourt violations and st john's most certainly can, can force some pressure on it nothing was really detrimental to how villanova worked on <laughs> offense in the second I feel half, now <laughs> yeah in the second half uconn most certainly ramped up that pressure and and things were very very ugly uh, off of those inbounds. Uh, and I, I did laugh that the the full 40 Chris over there had tweeted out that Villanova may want to drop an inbounds play, but he understands why Kyle Neptune never would have learned that being that inbounding was of course a nightmare under Jay Wright uh, as well. So I do want to credit UConn there. And also too, what they did on top of that, it wasn't just about the pressure in trying to force a turnover. What, what UConn was doing uh, on the defensive side they were comfortable with Villanova trying to break a press and run because if you'll notice, Villanova did have that opportunity a couple times. I don't think they ever scored off of it because Villanova is so uncomfortable trying to run in, in those situations. So I will give Hurley and UConn credit there defensively. It's part of what makes them so tough. And they, while Villanova most certainly slowed this game down in a lot of instances, and that's why this was so close for a lot of oppor- uh, a lot of this game as well, UConn did find some windows in this game where they tried to speed Villanova up. And when Nova fell into that trap, that's when the turnover started coming. And that's when UConn was really able to, to go on their runs. That was that 16 to three run in that second mm-hmm. half. Yeah. And the broadcast brought it up too. a 20 to three to run against Georgetown is what UConn had in the game prior. Georgetown made it a lot closer than any of us expected, but you just knew that UConn had it in them. They weren't going to go down without a fight and, if Villanova didn't turn the ball over, or Dixon didn't make that horrible cross-court pass. Oh. They just gave up a good look because they didn't want to go one-on-two or whatever it ended up being. So it was frustrating. And, you know, you and I have talked about tempo for years and how we've hoped with different athleticism and the personnel that we would maybe see a change. That change, that change hasn't come. And I'm starting to understand why Villanova can be so painful to watch sometimes for people because you just want to, shake some of the players and tell them to run the ball a little bit that that 
I was more prone to doing that than I have been in a while against UConn. I'll be honest. It's a part of what makes them great is their opportunity to slow things down and and make other teams play at your pace. But it also can show off the weakness when that tide does turn and you get forced to play at another team's tempo. um, Things can get difficult for, for Villanova. So I, I do appreciate the way that they play. I talk about it, that I like them to be at, they can stay at this level. I just want them to be more opportunistic, but the Mm -hmm. issue is when they get pulled into, you know, a track meet versus a St. John's or, or trying to out UConn, UConn in, in terms of the pressure. That That's not where this team's strengths lie, and, and that's where things get difficult. And it will happen sometimes when these younger guys are on the floor and they just don't have the full experience to go into it. Yeah, they probably out uconn the half-court game. They probably were the better half-court team. But UConn was certainly more opportunistic than Nova. And if you were to look at that points off turnovers category that we can't oh, seem to favorite. find, yeah. you would see you would see a, a huge mismatch there. And that was that was the turning point. That those 18 turnovers. That's it. If we had to summarize this game in 10 seconds for why Villanova lost it, they turned the ball over 18 times and they shot five of twenty-two from three. End of yep. story. <laughs> that's how Alrighty. we could have done this podcast. Have a good yeah. night, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's a wrap. <laughs> no, it's it's going to take some time to get over this loss because when you're down one at half and you have a lead with, I don't know, four or five minutes remaining and you're seeing Dixon play as well as he's playing and you see that Daniels has 20 points, you feel pretty good. So to watch it slip out of our fingers is tough. But I do think when we have some more perspective, we will realize how good this win is in terms of showing the country that the Villanova can compete. And I agree with you. I think the fact that Villanova still isn't even getting tournament selection buzz is disrespectful, just like the double-digit underdog spread was. Yeah, I I get it. But to not have them in the like first four out or next four out, I, I still – that. That's a little difficult for me, though. I listen. Yeah. They're they're a team right now that's sitting at seven and six and has one real quality win. So I, mm-hmm. I I can understand it, but I also still feel I'm still on the track that this team will be in the tournament come March. I, yeah. I don't firmly feel that way, but if I had to go one way or the other, um, I do think that they are a tournament team. So do you want to switch now, segue to a team that maybe we didn't think would be even in this discussion, but now might be? you talk about tournament teams and you talk about trying to get over a game like the one that just happened on Wednesday night. Well, the best way to do that would be defeating the Marquette golden Eagles on Saturday at the Finneran pavilion. Marquette comes in at 10 and four, of course, coached by Shaka smart. They are two and one thus far in conference play with wins over Creighton and Seton hall and a double overtime loss to province on the road, which was a phenomenal game to watch. They looked really good against Seton Hall on Tuesday. They've looked really good all season long. They do not have a bad loss on their resume thus far. Their L's come to Purdue, Mississippi State, Wisconsin, and Providence in conference here. And Shaka Smart is probably coaching the biggest overachievers from preseason predictions to where we are right now in the conference. It's a very big game for Villanova on Saturday. Of course, a difficult game to drop here on Wednesday, but an understandable game shortly to lose to the Huskies on the road. Now Villanova has an opportunity to beat a team that is firmly in the NCAA tournament field right now and would be a very big deal to propel them in Big East play. 
one of the most underrated teams and coaches in the country over the past two years. I love Shaka Smart, and you know that. And I will. I mean, I will continue to be a champion done, for him. <laughs> yeah, what he's done with this program, the way that uh, Wojciechowski left it two years ago, mm-hmm. not not in a good spot with not a lot of good promise in the next few years. And Shaka Smart's defensive intensity, the havoc, has completely changed this program around. I. I cannot believe how low they were ranked. Actually, I could believe it because I didn't think they had any talent on this Me roster. Too. But they were, I believe, ninth in the preseason poll. And now they right. are yep. one of the best teams in the Big East. This is the third of three gauntlet games to start off Big East play for Nova. Two of them come at home, so that helps. But this is a huge win. This is a bigger statement win than St. John's. This is probably the best win of the season over Oklahoma what do you think about that yes this I think this would be a better win than than the Oklahoma if Villanova was able to get it done just because Marquette is so balanced I think this is a huge test for this defense to continue to build on its momentum and have to guard Cam Jones Prosper Igodaro Joplin Tyler Kolek who's one of the best point guards in terms of assists Mm -hmm. in the conference he averages seven and a half assists a game you don't see that very often so that's like more than Villanova as a team yeah, Marquette can do so many different things so well. And then, of course, you know what they're going to bring on defense because that's what Shock is known for. So please give me my opportunity to take a parting shot at Wojo here. As as please. you mentioned with, with that, Marquette under Wojo was perennially one of the biggest underachievers in the country every single year. They had talent and they just continued to find ways to lose and continue to really fall apart in the second half of the season. Now, it is very early, of course, in Shaka Smart's reign, but the overachieving that we've seen both last year to finish 19 and 13 really caused teams some trouble uh, from a year ago to where they are again this year now, 10 and 4. I just went through you know, the, the losses against good teams and establishing themselves as a tournament team with a roster that I think a lot of people questioned, myself most certainly included in that. I'm unbelievably in- impressed in Marquette. Year over year here with with Shaka Smart, it's very interesting to look at the numbers to see how things have changed. They have turned, they lost Justin Lewis, which of course, Mm -hmm. really big deal. You know, guy guy signs a a two-way NBA contract, uh, really impressive scorer here. Their offense is actually so much better. And it's because it is so much more balanced now rather than having Lewis just kind of shoulder that load. And a part of that is because, They're much more in control. They still go fast, but they do not run as fast as a season ago. And what they've done now is they've really become a team that focuses on the two, just like you mentioned with UConn. They have the fourth best two-point percentage in the country. They make 61% of their twos. Their point distribution uh, has increased year over year from inside the arc here. And they really do it with a a combination of guys. This is no longer Justin Lewis and Daryl Marcel really leading the way for them. Of course, both those guys are gone, but now you have Cam Jones has morphed into a stud and one of the better guards in the conference. David Joplin can hurt you from deep. As you mentioned, Tyler Colex, one of the better distributors uh, that we have in the big East. And also Iguodaro can really run the floor as a big. So this roster has developed and really rounded into form. And it's a part of what makes Marquette so difficult. They're not incredibly deep, but the guys that are out there are are very talented and play very well to Shaka strengths. Yeah, really well said. It's nice to have stars. I don't think anybody is downplaying Justin Lewis's impact on the team last year, 
but it's also really nice to have five guys average more than nine points a game, right? Not bad. <laughs> they do everything well. Do you know what their offense is ranked on, Ken Palm? I do, actually. They are the eighth-ranked offense in the country. Eighth? Mm-hmm. Ken Palm has them as the 25th overall team. They actually have Creighton at 24, one below them. But eighth offense, that is pretty remarkable. Very I impressive. think it is. Balance is, again, just the one word that comes to mind, but they they assist so well. They just, this is going to be so different from St. John's and UConn, who are just going to try and, and, and turn you over, try and play full court press the entire game to make Villanova make mistakes. Marquette just might be the smoother offense against Villanova. And I think it's going to be just pretty offensive play from Marquette and hopefully from Villanova too. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really fair there. This is going to be a fun game. Uh, to watch these are two good teams again this is a really big opportunity for Villanova to come away with a a pretty important win here uh keys really looking at limiting cam jones cam jones i just talked about how he's morphed into a stud if you need the numbers to really back it up again more of a reserve kind of six man type player as a freshman now as a sophomore going from seven points a game to 16 points a game the athleticism's off the charts like i i love watching cam jones play uh for shaka uh, we talked about Igadaro already. Prosper ha- has really developed into a better, you know, wing type guard uh, or a wing forward more uh, for him too. So they're fun to watch. They, as I said, they still run, but they run in a more controlled way. This is not the chaos of a St. John's that we mm-hmm. saw so recently where I feel like even a St. John's detriment, they run to that tempo and they feel like they must put up a shot within five seconds, even if it's not a great shot. Marquette will certainly push that tempo and look to take a shot, but if it's not there, they're not just going to take it for the sake of taking. And that's part of what makes them really dangerous. And then of course we know they force turnovers. They get at you on defense. They're very difficult to break down. So Marquette has over the past couple seasons been a very difficult opponent for Villanova. Just a year ago, we know they swept to Villanova in the season series here. This would be a very big deal for Nova to be able to get on the board here against the Golden Eagles. When Marquette has even more expectations than they did last year, and Villanova was still swept. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is why we said the gauntlet of three games at the beginning, right? It definitely gets a little bit easier after this. Of course, all Big East games are, are kind of a coin flip at this point, but they've got Georgetown on January 4th. To beat Marquette, I think, would be... The statement win after a really tough, winnable game on the road at UConn, you beat Marquette, and I think this team has a lot of confidence going into, again, Georgetown, but then they've got Xavier, St. John's again down the road, Providence, Creighton coming up, so they need to to really put their feet in the sand here and get that win. They do, and going into this stretch, I know we had mentioned it, a lot of people had mentioned it, I think a lot of people looked at this and said Villanova needs to go into the St. John's UConn and Marquette stretch and win two out of three. Well, mm-hmm. they have an opportunity to win two out of three right now. And I think Villanova needs to take care of business on Saturday, get that done and really find a way to, to push into 2023 on a good note. So I think they will. Yeah. Good point too. New Year's Eve game. Awesome. Two o'clock. Going to be fun at the Finneran Pavilion. Come out. So if you excited. Can, I think they can. I think Villanova wins by five. I'm going to say 72-67, Nova. 
Nice. I, I like it. I also think Villanova wins uh, on Saturday. I think it's a it's again a, a big bounce back <clears> opportunity. <throat> I saw positives here against right. UConn, though my frustration still kind of reigns throughout. But I do not expect Nova to turn the ball over 18 times. Mm-hmm. And I think you're gonna see more out of Armstrong and Whitmore than what we saw on Wednesday night. So I do think Villanova is going to be better real key. I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science, but it's finding ways to limit camp Jones around the perimeter through the guards. I think Villanova certainly has an opportunity to do that with, with the Caleb Daniels, with the Jordan Longino. Um, but he is just so, so good. And if you haven't gotten an opportunity to really watch him kind of in this new offense, uh, it, it, make sure to do so on Saturday. And you certainly will do so on Saturday. The other thing too, Igodaro, as I said, can most certainly run the floor. He He's a different big man. He's a, more of the traditional type but not so much because he's got the athleticism so watch out there it's a tricky matchup for eric dixon but of course we know how much we both love eric dixon and i'm sure that he will come through at the big game on saturday as well yeah you're right not crazy crazy size but a lot of athleticism and i mean it goes perfectly into our point about the havoc defense smart isn't going to recruit as we see more of these guys come under his reign as coach he isn't going to recruit players that can't keep up with his defensive un- intensity. So it's going to be fun. Again, I must win game as much as a must win game can be so early in Big East play. But uh, definitely, this would be a big time win building on the positive signs we saw against UConn and the, the quote unquote moral victory, we'll put it. Look at that. We're both frustrated from the UConn game. I think there's a lot of emotion, emotion that went into it for all of Nova Nation, but uh, we're both looking for Villanova to rebound here on Saturday. Yeah, it'll be big. Don't ruin the end of 2022, Villanova, please. <laughs> it's resting on them. The the last hours of 2022. Yeah, for real. I, I, I will be there. So I'm hoping that it is a positive way to. Uh, yeah, end, fingers end. crossed, man. E- exactly. Before we get into questions, I think there's one incredibly important thing that we have to address. And that was that there was a little John Rothstein tweet that came out on Christmas Day. If I missed uh, it. You missed it. Yeah. Source, Villanova's Justin Moore is returning to practice on a limited basis. Oh, no, I did see that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, like, I had a feeling you saw that one. <laughs> uh, so obviously some pretty big news there uh, from Rothstein with, with Moore back, back in practice. As he says, there's no timetable for the return. It is a limited basis. It is a very good sign, though, that Justin Moore is coming back here. I still think your best case scenario is probably mid-January, though February still early February still feels right to me. Um, but just the fact that he is officially kind of returning to practice here is most certainly steps in the right direction. Yeah. It's funny. I think maybe it's because we're spoiled and we have Tommy Godin on our side Yes, and with all of his more content, he actually got, uh, reposted by Justin Moore too. So that was oh, cool. Did he? Sweet. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't gasp when I saw that news. Maybe that's why I didn't even register when you said it, because I felt like he was maybe making it official makes it official and now we can start the countdown clock if you will but i did feel like justin moore is gonna play and we're all gonna think that he had like two more months of recovery left but he's just because villanova keeps their info so close and because moore is proving himself to be a pretty freak athlete with a pretty insane recovery time after a major injury justin moore might come out and recover more than we thought or quicker than he thought so for him to be Fully practicing, that means conditioning-wise, he's having some time to get back there. That means physically, he is bulked up enough to be able to go up against some of the tougher guards in the conference. It's huge. It is is by far the best Christmas present that anybody, any Villanova fan could have gotten, I think. 
Get well soon, Justin. Hopefully see you on the floor. So very uh, good, a positive development here for Villanova over this Christmas break. For sure. Yeah, we, we hit some of the questions earlier, and there aren't too many because we tweeted it late because it was a travel day for me, and we know we had a game. So a little awkward timing. But another question coming in from Conrad, even though it sometimes work, sometimes works, is it time to start guarding more of these guys from deep? And of course, I think he's more referencing there. Andre Jackson, who of course had a big three for UConn. We've had it in a couple uh, earlier opportunities too against Oregon. Guys were left open from deep, we know. Against Michigan State, AJ Holgard was open, uh, open from deep, and it's part of the game plan there. Do you want to see them close out more? Are you comfortable with Mm. where they are? It's really easy to say I'm fine with where they are until Andre Jackson hits that shot. And that felt like the the thing that really closed the door. If I'm not mistaken, I don't have it up in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Bill Raftery said that it was Jackson's eighth made three of the year. Eighth. Andre Jackson sucks from three. I will, I will go out and 14 and, games. Yeah. yeah. I, I am more than comfortable with leaving so. Andre Jackson. Andre Jackson's a freak athlete. He is a great player for UConn and all the things that he does um, for them uh, and able to push tempo and, and athleticism, get steals, you know, all those things that we say many times throughout the show, but what he cannot do or what he does not do very well is shoot the three. So if they're going to leave him open because they're trying to do a double team on Sonogo, which is exactly what happened. Uh, you roll the dice there every time. I feel the exact same way. I, I literally was going to say, if you're going to leave him open, double Sonogo, and limit him to six field goal attempts, I think you feel pretty good. Uh, apologies for coming out strong there, but I'm still pissed off about him yelling at Kyle Neptune. So um, yeah, it was terrible. It was a terrible move. Terrible yep, so move. I, I'm I'm going to move on before I say something else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Worst guy to hit that shot for sure. <laughs> and then third coming in for Mr. Bayer. Uh, I will admit I am one of them, but did we crown Cam Whitmore too early? Yeah, this is a good question, and it's tough. Um, If you're thinking crown as in this makes Villanova a top 25 team and Cam is going to play 25-plus minutes and score 20 points a game, then maybe yes. And I'm not even saying that in a mocking way. Like I do feel like people thought that, and there were certainly points where you and I thought that, Pat, because we were so excited. But, and we mentioned all these points, Teams are starting to game plan against him. When he came out against Oklahoma, nobody had any tape on him besides the FIBA championship. Hmm. And that was however long ago before this injury, before he came into the Villanova program. So I think it's okay to be frustrated. I think it's okay to be concerned that now for the third game in a row, we haven't seen anything from Cam. But I think maybe you might have had too high of expectations if you expected the season to completely turn around when cam came back into the fold or came into the fold for the first time. Yeah. I say yes and no to it. Mm-hmm. it no, in that he has really helped transform this team, especially defensively and, and add in some different elements to, to Villanova. No, in that he scored 21 points against Penn and 19 against BC, you know, real no, teams now. Yeah, yeah. No, in that we see the, the physical prowess that he has even as a freshman, but yes, in if you go more to just the crazy sky high expectations that he had now a Mm -hmm. lot of it is that Villanova just simply does not get this sort of prospect coming in very often which only leads to a further excitement to be able to see him play but I, I kind of go both ways with it where he has most certainly impacted this team. He has lengthened this team in terms of depth, being able to really bring some real impact uh, as, a, as another wing scorer, 
But, you know, I, I think there are some frustration points. We've seen it with the turnovers. He hasn't been particularly great. Uh, the the last couple games that we've seen, the, some of the shot selection can be rough. So there, there are give and takes with it. But it's also, if you look at it just further out and, and a very simplistic view, it is a college freshman in his first six yeah. games um, mm-hmm. after missing basically, you know, two months of practice uh, on top of it. So there's a lot that goes into it with Whitmore, which is why I can't give a, a complete clear answer. You just like to not give complete answers at this point. We oh, love of you course, for it. you know, you know, I love to to answer on both <laughs> sides there. My no, but it's true. It, 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 he's a freshman and he looked like a freshman again in UConn. So that's yeah. that's how I feel, too. Uh, I We kind of mentioned um arch madness question about uh housing and where was he through it but i do want to shout him out he did tweet out that he got a chris archdiacono jersey for christmas and love that that did pop up on my timeline and i absolutely it made me laugh so thank you for that gotta Um, rep arch yeah and then finally an interesting question to close things out here from jason basically what it boils down to is the question is would you take dan hurley as the head coach of Villanova if say they did not hire Kyle Neptune. I would be remiss to not let you answer this question first. I know how much you love Hurley. Really? Well, with Hurley, I think it's very simple. If he is on your side, you absolutely love him. And and the job <laughs> that he's done at UConn, he's done he's done a good job there. You know, from what he where UConn was when he came in, the whole Kevin Ali, yes, they won a national championship, but then it obviously descended into a, a dark period for them. He comes in and he has built them into what is currently right now the number two team in the country, the favorite in the Big East, a, a strong recruiting pull. He's using the transfer portal. They have NIL. Hurley's done a very nice job at UConn. Now they don't have an NCAA tournament win, and I will most certainly hold that over them until they win one in March here. But he's done a very good job. On the flip side, as a Villanovan and someone that goes up against him, I think it's very clear to see how easy he he is to hate uh, with his antics and the the craziness that that you see goes into it. So I, I really think it's as simple as he's a guy. If he's on your side, you love him. If he's against you, you really can't stand him. I was totally messing with you, and you gave him so much more credit than I was expecting you to. Wow, right. that's why I what a mature answer. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm cooling down after the Andre Jackson comments. Yeah, that definitely overshadowed it too. I mean, l- last year when he when he got ejected, it was certainly a, a little bit different. He is just so anti Volnova that I can't even picture it. No, him being it the would head never coach with Father Peter and the yeah, it would never happen. It, it couldn't work. No. It would never happen. So I am on the side of not being able to stand watching him because I think he is disrespectful to the refs and is a little bit mean to his players. If you can read lips as well as I can, which isn't that good. Um, but all, I mean, to his credit, Villanova gets a lot of credit, the most in the conference for being one of the best developmental programs in the country. Hurley is making a case for UConn being up there as one of the best as well. And he reloaded through the transfer portal and, I was and everything. I was going to say that too. Yeah. yeah. So he picked he, the, he picked the perfect holes, the perfect players to fill the holes that were left last year. And last year's team was a good team. They just didn't win in the tournament. He's a hell of a coach. He is yeah. as much as I can't stand him. Um, mm-hmm. of, of course, uh, as a Novan, um, I, he is one heck of a coach there and uh, yeah. I really hope to see them flame out in March. Yeah. We'll just, you know, we'll love to hate him from the other side. How about that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Fun, fun bag though. We, we, we know that, uh, questions on Thursdays after games are a little bit tough, but we really appreciate people throwing them our way. We try and be more active on Twitter for every game as well, but the last five minutes or so of this game, Pat, I just 
I hibernated a little bit. I couldn't take it. It was, it was too much passion coming at me from so many different angles. A lot of texts were flying in my uh, yeah. Villanova group chat. Yeah. A lot of texts going back and forth in this one. So it's what a Villanova-UConn game does, and it's why we love this so much. Yeah, and thank God Villanova's back. That week felt like a month. It sat did. down for this game. felt like I hadn't sat down in a whole month. It quick turnaround. Weird. It's a quick turnaround yeah. to get, to get back to Saturday on Saturday. So, yeah. um, but- now this is it. Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturdays for basically the whole rest of conference play. I love this part. It's fun this way. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for us then here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for all of your Villanova content all season long. Follow us on Twitter at SONNPod. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. Nova Nation it has been a fantastic 2022. This is our last podcast of 2022. We want to thank all of you for listening. However many episodes you did uh, this year, we we really appreciate it. We have an absolute blast doing this. We love interacting with you and we can't thank you enough for your support. Hope everyone enjoys the game on Saturday and have a safe, happy, and healthy new year. And we will talk to you in 2023 see you next year see you next year go nova on saturday and nova nation that's a wrap